Welcome back to Double and Nothing. Um, you're listening to Misha Sol and Michael Frazis. <laughs> it is the 1st of February 2023. Michael, we've taken probably our, our sweet time getting into the first episode of, of Double or Nothing. What, how are we going to kick off um, 2023 with this episode? Uh, good to see you, Misha. It has been a while. I reckon um, there's been a few developments this month. I mean, there was a pretty big rip in financial markets, which is obviously quite helpful for us. Uh, there was also, like, since we last spoke, the inflation print just kind of, like, reaffirmed what we are talking about last year in the sense that, you know, it came in at minus 0.1%. Um, and that's, that's kind of quite relevant to, to, to what happens next because, you know, it's, it really suggests that um, in the near term we'll reach, like, that peak rate. Um, which at least means that rate of change of interest rates is kind of um, going to be very different this year than last year. Um, and a lot of wood has been chopped, you know. There's been a big sell-off and things have now kind of gone sideways for six, seven months. Um, yeah, coming up to eight months now. So it's a pretty interesting pivotal moment, I think. Um, this is kind of the moment where, like, the crash kind of happened a while ago and now the dust is kind of settling and now you're getting quarter after quarter, like, kind of post-crash, you really have to see what, how companies are performing. Um, but how's the start of the year been for you? Uh, good. We, um, you know, we signed a deal um, 31st of December, so it was a pretty hectic run-up to uh, th- through the new year, literally at like 10.30 p.m. New Year's Eve. And other than that, both my kids are starting a, a new school um, this year, so there's been a lot of, um, you know, parental nervousness feels like they're kind of growing up and, and, and the like. And I've got I mean, I've got three kids, so I should say two of my, my, my three kids started school this year. So lots happening, but it's, it's been beautiful in Sydney as well. Um, you know, listeners who are, who are locals will, will remember we've had like years of crummy summers of, um, you know, fire, bushfires and smoke or torrential rain. And it's actually been a, a gorgeous summer. So, um, so it's been an absolute lovely time in Sydney. We closed a deal, kids starting school. So it's all coming up, all, all, <laughs> all coming up good. It's, it's, it's all happening. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the macro thing is interesting. I mean, um, you, you will recall every time we kind of talk about macro, I kind of tune out slash, um, you know, I'm skeptical. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm, I'm not really a macro guy, but um, you know, it did seem to be that inflation is higher than expected, which means that kind of interest rates are continuing to, to go up at least for for a bit, which kind of in my mind basically means house prices, um, you know, will probably continue to be hurt uh, in, you know, in, in the near term, which is which is a good thing as a non-homeowner <laughs> myself. That's probably my my selfish um, ob- observation. Um, I think um, it does seem though that um, you know all like tech valuations have settled. It's probably um, you know, a lot of the, the multiple compression that's happened over the last 12 plus months um, has probably happened. And, and from here on in, it's probably going to be, you know, uh, you know, company performance is probably going to be fundamental driven um, going forward. Um, and so they just kind of need to, to deliver, obviously, a whole bunch of tech firms have, have kind of cut costs. And so the big question is, can they maintain top line growth um, in the face of those cost cuts and and frankly we don't know how, how that's going to play out we think that um you know we've got a bunch of um you know 
conversations uh, going on at, at this time. We think, you know, we're probably optimistic about um, our ability to to do deals um, this year. So it should be should be an exciting year. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll show you. I'll I'll go deeper on one of those points. So. Yeah, so that you see CPI point. Um, actually, we can see these slides. We're using yes. a new platform, so it's very experimental. Um, basically, if you take the last six months and extend that out, so the CPI change in price level in the US six months, extend it out. Um, the black line you can see is what inflation does by June this year, and you can see it kind of crosses below two percent in May, which is only you know two or three months away. Um, by June, will be below one percent, and this is this is from the Fed's numbers. This is just literally just taking the actual CPI, not doing any crazy adjustments um, and extending out where that change in extending out the trend from June till today. Um, and there's a couple of other points there. Uh, we said before that like shelter was the major component for the last six months, and that is still true. Um, so you can see these slides in the last six months, almost all of it has been the green, that green bar. Um, and that's actually flipped that is completely changed. That's flipped negative. But that the CPI data that the Fed uses only counts rents as a kind of roll off. Um, so you can imagine as 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 you know people change houses, it's they're a tiny proportion of the of the number of people in the price level um, that the Fed's using. And it actually worked really well a year ago predicting the increase in inflation as well. So it's not just one sided. You know, if you use live data, so you can obviously see where rents are almost instantaneously because there's so many houses and apartments on the market at any one time. Um, that gave a really good signal that inflation was about to massively increase long before it came up in CPI. It was so lagged. And now that same kind of process, thought process, shows it will decline. Uh, and then you also have, you know, the fact that they're going to raise rates almost certainly tonight by 25 basis points. Um, and the la latest rent rises haven't even been taken into account. So if you put all that together, you know, there's a good chance that this CPI chart is actually optimistic. Um, and over the coming months, you know, there's the, the, the change in CPI from shelter comes into play and also whatever impact, you know, these rising rates have comes into play as well. So that's kind of interesting. And it's relevant to things like valuations. So you mentioned um, valuations have settled. This is a chart that kind of shows software, like a basket of software. You can see they peaked at like 16 times sales and came all the way back down to four. Um, which is where it's bottomed, you know, in the last kind of 10 years, a couple of times. Um, and the last time actually it went this low, uh, the index went up a crazy amount, you know, it went up um, tenfold. I think. Actually, I think it was more like 11 or 12 fold from 2016 um, to the peak and about five times from the low in 2016 to where we are today. Um, and that, that's, that's almost all entirely organic growth because the multiples are basically the same as they were. It's really just organic growth, even adjusted for um, stock issuance and change in number of shares. This is what the return that you would have got, you know, five times from low to low, and kind of 12 times from low to high. And that's in five years. So that was kind of, this is the kind of reason like we invested the way we do. We were kind of like going for these kinds of returns um, and these kind of profiles. Uh, but then obviously there's periods like the last kind of two where it's just been serious, serious compression. Um, but I think about like where you're playing private equity, you know, if you can buy these assets privately, maybe with that, I don't know how you guys structure them, presumably with some kind of debt, um, you know, and you can ride those trends and get those like five-fold increases, or even if you can get your timing right, not that you necessarily can time markets um, with any consistency, 
but you kind of know when things, you know, when it's like summer or winter, right? Like if you can sell them during summer, um, you get pretty spectacular returns. It's pretty exciting. I mean, that's the idea, obviously, for, for private equity. You know, pr- private equity has the luxury of um, choosing its exit window, hopefully. Um, you know, that said, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd kind of uh, temper <laughs> some of that. I think, um, uh, you know, I, I, you know, we're obviously bullish software and technology. That's like obviously the game we've, we've kind of chosen. Um, that said, I, I think the, a lot of the trends we've seen in the last decade, some of them are, are multi-decade and, you know, we'll, we'll continue to see tailwinds. And obviously we believe in the structural tailwinds of software and technology, but others, um, you know, are beginning to pass, you know, the transition from on-prem to cloud, you know, there, there's a lot of, um, you know, value to be, you know, low-hanging fruit to, to, to be picked there. Um, we're absolutely seeing um, saturation in, in, in a range of TAMs across a range of verticals. So that kind of S-curve that we've seen over the last called five, ten years, you know, has played out in a lot of immediate verticals. And so, um, you know, going forward, there may be decent growth, but it may be tempered in a range of um places some not some have kind of infinite <laughs> growth but, but, but some, some are much more narrow and so you're going to start seeing things you know you know more global plays more horizontal plays consolidation plays so it's probably um you know uh, you know last 10 years uh, may be a little unique in terms of in terms of you know some of the the aggressive tailwinds that said you know new oceans are kind of arising new horizons are kind of appearing and most notably you'd have to be living um under a rock not to have seen what what chat gpt and and ai are kind of doing over the last month and and we're it feels like we're in the real early innings if you've used chat gpt you know you'll notice a bunch of um faffing and, and a whole bunch of um censorship and you'll notice a whole bunch of you know uh really coddled responses or false responses or strange responses but that said it's true enough and quick enough and impressive enough that you know you can see the the curve of improvement quickly eating a whole bunch of um low-hanging workflows and and kind of um you know queries and, and search um you know you can see the underlying search capability and the kind of text generation and, and that's unbelievably you know impressive i'm obviously the the millionth person to to to, to, to kind of note that so it's not that's not an original insight obviously microsoft um had the big deal with with open ai and invested at the the 10 bill vowel um and so you know they're seeing it and and, and the kind of benefits to them are obvious in terms of integrating into their to, to their in, into, into the microsoft suite of products so um you know who knows what that kind of what opportunities that creates and that's that that's probably gonna begin to permeate um you know a, a lot of industries um pretty quickly it's already kind of being integrated in a range of low-hang workflows as kind of product, as kind of productivity improvements so um you know i think i think um you know to kind of go back to your in, initial point around um you know the upside you know, maybe well, we definitely don't like aggressively play that um that timing game 
I think it's a fair thing to say you can kind of take a view whether you're in the top half or or or, or, or the bottom half. Um, you know, we think now is a is a good time um, to invest. Um, but you know, again, it's probably a boring answer. But the details matter, and you need to be kind of selective um, because there, there's there are a range of business of investing. Um, you know, in kind of growth at all costs, that the kind of um, you know, uh, the chicken's going to come home to roost, so to speak, um, and, and others that will continue to grow even in the face of cost cutting. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like in, in US software, it seems to be like kind of maybe three components of it. There's like the companies have been absolutely smashed down to one-time sales. You know, like your Twilio's, um, you know, four-bill cash, four-bill revenue, eight-bill market cap. I think that's something like that. Then those numbers are the lows. Then there's like the high like fast-growing companies like Datadog, Cloudflare, Snowflake, everybody kind of, there's a broad consensus they're best in class. They've kind of gone down from 50 to 100 times to 10 times. But, you know, when you're valuing these things, you can really make a case for either. You could argue that they're worth only a few times sales, or you could argue they're worth um, a lot more than that. And then there's kind of the middle, like, um, I guess the high-quality ones, like your Salesforce, Adobe, ServiceNow. I'm interested to see which of those kind of groups does best going forward. Like, will it be... The Twilio's went from $400 to 50 and are now slowly starting to grind up. You know, those things could double or triple quite quickly and, and, and the story will be more or less exactly the same. Or will it be like the compounders or will the ones that are actually growing faster, will they actually, you know, deserve the valuation premium they've got? I think that's kind of, it's, it's not really a question you can like answer with any conviction, um, but it will be interesting to see that play out. Um, it, it is interesting. I mean, they, they all, um, again, you know, I, I, I can't speak to any of those specifically. And obviously, I don't really play in kind of big cap US tech. So, um, you know, this is kind of speaking a little from afar. But you know, each of those dynamics are, are quite different. And, um, you know, Twilio's um, dynamics are, are impressive and, and kind of global, but they're very different to say Adobe's. You know, Adobe's, you know, one of its treasures is that it's really you know it's kind of sitting on a monopoly in terms of you know pdf is the preponderant kind of um, system that it kind of owns and so it kind of um you know globally and so um you know it, it's you know it, uh, underneath you know and it's only one of its verticals but like and um, you know a lot of the, the a lot of its competitors are kind of competitors that live by adobe's grace because adobe doesn't really want to appear to be a monopoly and kind of create whole bunch of businesses around it to kind of hide the fact that it's sitting on these kind of scarce monopoly um, assets, which, which again is fine as a position of um, immense strength for, for Adobe, but it's a very different position to Twilio, which is really in a global cutthroat environment. Um, and, you know, again, Twilio has a certain impressive product and go-to-market um features, but it's very different to sitting on a giant global monopoly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess we just have to see those play out. I mean, the struggling is throughout this period, you know, for all the talk of contraction and recession and all that kind of thing. Um, I mean, firstly, on the bigger picture, we're February now, 23, and the recession hasn't come that was, that was called for so strongly um, last year. Um, secondly, all these companies are still posting pretty strong growth numbers. Um, Yes, growth has slowed down, but you're still seeing like 30% on average for that basket of software stocks I was talking about. And that now covers the full period of contraction or so-called contraction. I don't know if you can really call it contraction. It seems like, like a lot of people are throwing around the word reset. Maybe that actually will end up being um, 
the correct way to talk about it. Um, there is a sense of global optimism. I mean, um, you know, uh, the, the kind of pandemic is behind us. Um, you know, we, we're, in, we're in a moment of US, um, you know, kind of re, uh, reassertion of its ascendancy and its supremacy globally. Um, you know, yeah. Russia has come out far the worse um, in its kind of uh, fight in, in, in Ukraine. The US has kind of emerged kind of indefatigable uh, there. Um, you know, China is kind of appearing weak and slowed uh, down by its kind of continued battle with COVID. And in the US, we're seeing, you know, new horizons. Um, you know, not only are its traditional power bases in energy and its industrial base kind of kind of rearing, um, but, you know, we've seen the emergence of the new frontier, another new frontier coming from the land of infinite frontiers, you know, with, with, with AI and the like. And so um, so it's hard not to be very bullish the US. Um, you know, some people might think that's a good or bad thing, but just regardless, it's a, you know, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's just seeing, um, you know, and, and that's, that's probably ultimately good for equity markets, I would have thought, given the, the massive weighting of equity markets to US equity markets. And so, yeah. Um, so there's this kind of renewed optimism. So, um, you know, we've kind of been, a, you know, near to medium term bearish in terms of maybe the recession coming. Maybe um, it's kind of uh, it's kind of hard to see what the catalyst of that would be, especially with all these kind of, um, you know, with the US kind of roaring and, and, and Australian, um, you know, Australian energy roaring um, and, and Australian um uh, you know, Australian sectors seem to be seem to be go going pretty well. So, um, look, uh, you know, the, the kind of post tech crash seems to have settled, and, and you know, right now it's always hard to kind of step out and, and what's the kind of six month view. But I think the current view, and maybe just the beautiful Sydney weather, is that it's hard not to be uh, optimistic. Yeah, isn't it incredible? You know that AI thing. I cannot believe that that. You know, I can't believe it came out of the same place that so many of these other innovations came out of. Like, not just like the US, but the West Coast, not just the West Coast, but San Francisco, like Silicon Valley. Um, it's it's incredible. an age of wonders and it's a place of wonders. And, um, you know, we'll look back at, at Silicon Valley and, 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 and its creations, you know, in the same way that, you know, we look back at, at the Renaissance or, um, you know, other great moments um, in history and in, and in time. And we're absolutely at a, at a pivotal moment um, in, in history. And, you know, um, I'm kind of just watching from, from the sidelines, but it's, it's kind of amazing to, to see it happen. Can add this to the picture then that like investors are basically maximum underweight technology in the US, and you're still coming off a huge kind of sell-off. Like, and and it's not just it's not just kind of software. So semis, we that that's one thing I missed over ten years, and it drove me nuts. Kind of looking back at how well those companies did, but we did kind of buy some of the leading companies a few months ago, which has helped us. You know, that's had it. Semis are like notoriously cyclical. Um, and you've got this PC and mobile collapse because everybody bought their phones, you know, upgraded all their stuff over the last two years. Um, but then you also have this incredible demand shock from AI. And at some point of the next six to 12 months, that PC mobile cyclical low will probably turn into the opposite where everybody upgrades the stuff they bought, you know, three or four years previously. 
Um, you know, a search on chat GPT is like apparently 100 to 200 times more computationally intensive. The first number I saw was seven times, but apparently it's like two orders of magnitude more than that, um, or one order of magnitude more than that at least. Um, so that means you could very quickly, and, and this thing's running at capacity. So in US times, you don't really see it in Australia, but in US times, because we're on a different time zone, but in US times, apparently most days it's like, um, you know, you can't access it. It's just too many people using it. You kind of have to pay to play now. Um, the demand for this is going to be immense. So that means um, immense demand for computation. And that helps everyone from ASML, who makes the machines and makes the chips, um, to all the kind of people in the supply chain. It's highly consolidated um, across many companies um, that basically have their own monopoly over one piece of that critical supply chain. And then you also have governments deciding they want to onshore development. Um, as much as possible and move as much of that manufacturing out of Taiwan as they can. Um, and all of that, like, again, you compare, you know, that age of wonder kind of stuff that you're talking about to that. There's like a dissonance now between like positioning and the way people are thinking about portfolios and like kind of what's actually happening in the world. Um, and I, found, like, I kind of get that. I mean, like, um, you know, just because, you know, uh, open AI is going to change the world. It's hard to actually, I mean, maybe semis are the way to play it, to your point. I, I don't know, but the kind of selling picks and shovels to the mine thing kind of just intuitively makes sense. It's not a super original insight, but like, you know, that's plausibly the case. But, you know, I'll, I'll make the case for being long other sectors. Um, I know this isn't long your fund, but, you know, I'm, I'm long coal, and that's played out very well over the last um, year. You know, I, I, you know I, I think if you were long a range of industrial sectors, you know, that 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 would have played out well over that period of time or, or energy. So, and, 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 you know, how do you be long AI today? Maybe Microsoft and, and, maybe, or, and maybe, you know, maybe some of the others, you know, maybe we are on the cusp of living in this immersive VR world and maybe, you know, Facebook and Meta are, are the way to play. Who, who knows, right? But like, but the, the you know, on the other hand, um, how many industries are going to be commoditized? And, and an industry can be massive and um, hugely value creating, but may not capture much of that value. Now, OpenAI may capture it, but maybe all the ancillary industries will get crushed um, you know, as a result. So, um, you know, I, it's not obvious to me. Um, I mean, certainly everyone should just funnel their, all their money into your fund. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but you know, it's, it's not actually obvious. So, no, I'm, I'm, that, was, that was extremely tongue-in-cheek. No financial advice on this, um, on this podcast is ever given. Um, but, like, um, uh, uh, but, you know, it's not obvious how to kind of play that directly. And, and, may, and it will be obvious in hindsight, you know, if, if Microsoft becomes a $3 trillion business over the next five years because of this, everyone will be like, obviously that's going to happen. And like, and you know, they bought, they invested in open AI, but like, but you know, everything's kind of obvious in, in, in hindsight, but, um, but all plausibly, you know, this kind of engine becomes hyper commoditized, um, creates enormous value and just captures very little of it. So, um, the models are open source and yeah. everybody's trying to kind of create things. Look, I think like if, if, if any percentage of Google search goes to chat GPT, the computer computation is just intent. It's just immense because it's so much higher. I mean, and it's not like Google, it's not like that. It's that easy to scrape the world of internet of data that Google does, you know, that's already incredibly computationally intense. Um, but to actually go through these models will be even more so. Um, so I think, I think there is case for that. Um, Google versus Microsoft is fascinating. So Google's the one with the most to lose here. 
and probably spent the most on AI and most of the developments kind of came from them. Even Facebook obviously spent a fortune on AI over the years. Both of them have developed chat GPT like, um, I guess you could say competitors, but they're not really competing with open AI because they didn't release the products. Hmm. Had these products, we know they're good. And I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, but there was that time when that Google engineer thought it was sentient. Like having played around with these, I've no doubt that ChatGPT could convince you that it's sentient. Like, it's just, hmm. it's like passing a Turing test or a basic Turing test with like a person who just is trivial for that thing relative to where it is now. Um, but they didn't release it. So why? So and I can see why. It's like Google releases a product potentially competing with search. Any issues they have are going to be like hit really hard reputationally. And it's potentially cannibalizing their main products. So there's probably some internal politics. Um, and it's also like, it's not clear today how to monetize it. I mean, people will pay up for ChatGPT. Like they, the answer is probably just to charge people to use it for a much better search experience. They are now, aren't they? They're like on the downtimes, they're charging 40 bucks a month or something. Yeah, I don't know, it's it's something like that. I use it all the time. It's yeah. valuable. Um, and, and who knows what the price of that is? Like $40 is cheap relative to what it can do. Um, but so Google has decided not to release their product, probably because it wasn't quite perfect and potentially because they weren't sure what it was going to do to the advertising, because this is not, it's not clear how it's, even if you, there almost certainly will be a way to monetize it. It's probably not advertising for chat GPT. Mm -hmm. The ads next to your chat GPT search just ruins the flow. Um, but what a strategic moment for them because mm. Google search was like unassailable until a few months ago. And now all of a sudden, key things that people search for, like how to do things, education, not necessarily which car to buy, but, you know, maybe at some point even that starts going to G chat GPT where you ask it to summarize different features and all that kind of stuff that, you know, Google would be clicking around. Maybe they can just, they, the chat GPT can just give you like a list of cars and the features that you're interested in. Um, it's amazing. You can format things in different ways. I mean, it's just, um, yeah. it could be the Google killer. It's amazing. So why is Google not releasing it? Like what a moment for them. And from the outside, like, I'm always worried. Like, we're talking about Adobe with their massive acquisition last year. And I think the conclusion was we can kind of speculate from the outside. We don't really know what the strategic calculus is internally. But from the outside, this looks like a huge mistake. I mean, it looks like they should put that product in the market, improve it. If it's bad, just do it again. You know, they cannot lose here. It's like when Apple, Apple had to have a Maps product. Um, and they released Apple Maps. And then all the bloggers go like, oh, Nuts, look, this part of the world looks like a waterfall. You got this wrong here. But they had it. They put that thing out. They had contact with the enemy. They improved it. And now it's more or less as good as good. Like, they're basically the same product. Hmm. Um, but they had to do it. They had to release it. They had to get it out. They had to get millions or hundreds of millions of people using it, if not billions. Uh, probably not billions for Apple. Um, but I feel like Google desperately needs to do that now. Like whatever mm. they're working on with their tens of billions of dollars of spend, that needs to be put in the market. They, they can charge for it, offer it for free as a beta, selected users, whatever it is. Um, but if they drop the ball on search, that would be incredible, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, so so just to switch gears, there are two more things I want to talk about. I'm keen to hear about your experience as a CompSci student. Mm. And, um, and before we jump to that, I want to share one experience of mine over the last couple of months. I have, over the last couple of months, got addicted to chess. And so I've been playing on my phone. This is after playing only periodically over the last decade or so. 
And um, and you can just download chess.com and basically play someone similarly ranked to you um, globally anytime. Because I don't know how many people, like almost a billion people use it. Like it's, or it's, it's like insanely popular. And so there's just a very liquid pool of people around your rank. And if you win, you, know, you play someone stronger. And if you lose, you play someone weaker and, and, and so on. And um, I have, and this may well reflect you know, more on me than anything else. But I have found it a uniquely deranging experience. Um, you know, I obviously enjoy playing chess. That's why I'm doing it. But the feedback loops are so rapid. So say if you're playing a five-minute rapid game chess, you can play through quite a lot if you're just sitting at home, punting on the couch and burning time, which is basically what's, what's turned, you know, what's, you know, what's, you know what I've been doing. And it is, um, and so you're getting feedback loops constantly you know either you're winning great so you might win five games in a row and you're a hero but each time you win you increase in rank and so you're always at the call face of playing someone who's then a bit better and so no matter how good you are so say you doubled your ranking you know quickly which would be unbelievable then you're just playing someone who's twice as good and then so naturally what happens is you don't actually just keep winning you kind of win and lose win and lose win and lose go winning streaks losing streaks and um and ultimately you know a good outcome is that you kind of incrementally improve your rank over time with some vicissitudes um in, in, in between and it's totally deranging because um you know you're constantly getting these feedback loops, you know, because you're losing because of mistakes or whatever. And so it's, you know, and so every five minutes being told how much an idiot you are, basically. And it's hyper competitive and it just puts me in absolutely foul mood. Like when, when I'm, and my wife immediately goes to me, Misha, you've been playing chess again, haven't you? I'm banning it, you know, like do not play it around me because I just turn into a worse version of myself because I'm constantly at the call face of these feedback loops telling me how much of an idiot I am, basically. And so, again, I don't know if this is like a universal experience, but the, the structure, it's such a sophisticated, elegant mechanism. It's honestly, I mean, I imagine it's kind of like trading the markets every day. Like, no matter how good you are, you're basically, yeah, it, it's just emotionally, um, you're always wrong, basically. And so it's been driving me absolutely bonkers. It's eating, you know, and it's eating a bunch of time, and I, I can't get off it, but it's actually turning me into a much worse person. So I've tried to, you know, you can try to be equanimous about it and, and try to, like, take a step back and, you know, go all stoic and, and try to control it. And, and I'm trying to work on it. But ultimately, I found just being self-aware of that kind of, you know, detrimental effect has been kind of you know it's kind of curious yeah i mean it's a great observation that because of the rating system that you're constantly just paying a little bit better so you're constantly mostly losing it's very frustrating that's right and you win, then you just level up a little bit yeah I just, so I was, there's a huge boom in chess and again, it's one of those things where like it's kind of like a really niche thing COVID comes and bang anybody who had a youtube channel becomes like a, a celebrity you know because everyone just had so much time and just, you know, it's just one of those moments. And I got, I was part of that. But I also found it really frustrating. Like, I think I stopped playing. I think I lost one game to a friend. We used to play, it's like a day of move kind of thing. Yeah. yeah think yeah. about it intense. And I was like up all night thinking about this thing. And I was like winning. And then slowly he turned it, and like ate away at me. And eventually I lost. And I was so frustrated and angry. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm the same. But it's interesting. I experienced that with nothing else. And maybe that's because I don't. I, I don't think I play like similar games, but like, you know, if you're 
lose you know the feedback loops loops in in work and feedback loops in like other things are so much more long dated you don't yeah. just get you know it's it's just driving me bonkers but it's interesting you had that experience i just hate I losing basically it. yeah once you get to a certain level in chess as well you need to kind of study it yeah like, so i started do doing that <laughs> <laughs> you can't get to that level, and then you just have to know what the optimal move is. Um, yeah. Then slowly learn a few tricks when people play certain things. Um, if they haven't seen it, then you basically almost guaranteed to win or an advantage. Um, but then that then then it kind of became a little bit less interesting for me to be honest. So I was like, yeah. oh, I don't want to study this game. Yeah, I think that's fair, and, and I think um, you know chess is unusual because it somehow attracted a bunch of prestige and status you know it's kind of sound smart and clever whatever but ultimately like it's as absolutely useless as like being really good at tetris or something and and like you know it's probably less embarrassing for me to say i'm addicted to chess than like i'm addicted to like pokies or like um or tetris or like mario game card or something right but like actually it's the equivalent of dead time and so um and so i wonder like whether i'm actually just just going down this um kind of dead end rabbit hole and whether it's just cut it or whether you know I'm, I'm very tempted to actually just like read about openings and like learn to be much better um so i'm, I'm not i'm not really sure and right, right now it's something i just kind of you know do in between hmm. do you watch uh gotham chess we should probably move on but just for <laughs> i haven't seen gotham chess what's that great youtube channel great guy okay. plays game explains it really well he's also got like a course um, oh, I may have seen a couple actually, but yeah. Anyway, good chess uh, interlude. And so you were back. Tell us, you're back at your your stream again. Yeah, so I'm just doing like one course, like a semester. So like very little, low time commitment. But really wanted to. I've always wanted to do computer science, and just finally decided this is the time. Um, look, it's weird. things have changed. Like I went to uni like over ten years ago now. Um, I graduated over ten years ago. And now the resources are insane. Like there's things, there's hmm. Chegg, the company, the listed company, the base has the answer to not just every exam or like they have answers to assignments, like perfect answers just written hmm. out, um, which you can pay like almost nothing and have access to. Uh, and then you have like these YouTube, yeah, then you have YouTube and all these, you, and all these online, um, what do they call them, MOOCs. Hmm. You can you literally like do a whole lecture series online from another university on a topic that you want. Um, there's no kind of, there's no library work. I mean, you can go to the library and spend some time there, but it's not like you go and get the book and work your way through the book um, and then struggle to find the answer for something. And then really just going through book after book to try and figure out what's going on. Like now you just kind of type it into, I guess, Google and, hmm. and ChatGPT, like learning how to code with ChatGPT, you ask it to like, and like for a financial example, you'd be like, okay, let's do a backtesting strategy where, you know, momentum days, let's say you buy when it crosses the 200 day and sell when it goes under. So just something like the basic entry level. And then just like generates the Python code for you. Like, okay, it does can, that? Yeah, GPT does that today. That's better, yeah, immediately. And then you go, okay, can you extend it so it adds this indicator and then put a chart in these colors and then it'll extend it to do that. And then you go, okay, you've got this wrong. This is buying on this day, but really you can only really buy on the next day. Is that correct? They'll be like, yes, we made an error. My apologies. Um, We've now made the adjustment to that and that's correct. Like, wow. Why? Is there a faster way of doing this? And I'll say, yes, there is. But how can I optimize this strategy by different days? I'll be like, here's the code to do it. I'm telling you, like, I just, like, that was like 30 seconds of me rambling. That's incredible. As, as you're typing this 
in, it's giving you answers. And you can ask it questions. So you can, I actually haven't used it to study yet because stuff, <laughs> like I just did a course like a few months ago. So the like, ChatGPT is like new. So it's not even, it's like that new that it wasn't there um, when I was actually kind of doing a little bit of work on, in the space. Um, but you can, I, it's, it's just such a game changer for learning things. And the fact that you can probe it, why did you do this? Or is there a hmm. better way to do that? Again, it's like that process, that's like a day's work on Stack Overflow, trying to stitch things together, hmm. no clear answer, and Googling stuff. And instead, you've just got this concise like output that you can then just copy paste and, and, and go for it. And I like, there's people that are like, okay, I want to do a website that does this. Give me the steps. And then ChatGPT will give every single step. Like this is how you do the front end. This is how you code it. Um, they say Starly, but like, can I, can you add a bit of red in? Like, yeah. And they can plug into stable diffusion. Give me a prompt um, for stable diffusion that gives me a, a good web design. And then it'll give you like list you like a very well constructed prompt to put into the image generators or then generate the image. And they can ask it how to actually incorporate it into your front end. Then how to do the back end type. This is, you can just ask and speak to it. And it tells you answers. It is, and this is just code is computer science. It's just like one kind of aspect, but it's really, if you try something, try the most simple example in that kind of way, like when you learn to use it to ask it questions, to probe it, um, that's when you're like, okay, this is different. This is new. This is not an extension of search. This is a completely new thing that we didn't have. And so that I think that's why I'm so convicted. So it's like the last 10 years were obviously great to tech until it's like 20 good years and then a couple of really bad ones and last year particularly bad, um, which is kind of my luck typically. Um, but, you know, if you think about those like waves of revolutions from then, it was like um, iPhone, you know, basically around the GFC, which then it was like apps, like mobile apps, um, then search, which was actually around kind of back end of, um, I guess that was the original tech boom and bust. Um, so it came before that. And then you had like cloud, um, there were just these and social, you know, there's probably like five, I think it's just five major thematics and each one was like a leg up in tech. And obviously many of them, Many of them, they all, they all needed more computing power. Um, they're all very involved in the internet. There were a ton of um, tooling, a ton of companies that just kind of rode that wave as well. And I, this is probably like another leg. I'm pretty, like, this is probably another leg. Yeah. This, is, really, really, this is the internet again. This is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and it's coming for, everyone thought it would be blue collar workers. Remember all those like thought pieces about what are the, like the number one job is trucking. What are the truck drivers going to do? Um, I mean, maybe at some point they're at risk, but actually it seems like think, think of paralegals, you know, like this should, what are the precedents for this point? And it'll just go and just like, give yeah. you, you know, the, or, you know, you're asking for code to kind of back test certain trading strategies. Surely the next step is back test this strategy. Um, and you know, like, you know, right now it's not really connecting to a cap IQ or a fax set or, or a Bloomberg or, or whatever, but surely that's like the obvious step. And you know, what happens when you kind of um, plug this into Renaissance or whatever? You can download all the data from the public sources or from Hmm. private sources. Or how do I take this data that's in a data frame that has every stock and every, all the data from cap IQ? How do I optimize this strategy that does this? Like it's. It's pretty mind-blowing, actually. It's exciting. Yeah. It's really yeah. exciting. Um, Boom. Okay. Well, why don't we, that's, that's, a, that's a great spot to leave it, I think. Sounds good. Hey, we should, no. uh, 
Yeah, keep saying we say this every week, but let's try and do this weekly. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. This was really fun and um, you know, really exciting uh, year and epoch ahead of us.